Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Andrew's Philosophy Cast. Um, we're going to continue um, the series that my very good friend George Bull has is, is kind of hopefully got you all all, uh, all hooked on now, on the nature of mathematics and infinity. Uh, we're going to be talking about a, a lot of sort of big ideas that are involved in, in sort of maths and infinity and we're going to like talk about some philosophers and some philosophical ideas that you would associate with it. Uh, we'll do some, some really exciting stuff that will hopefully keep you distracted through through this quarantine and lockdown and hopefully get you get you interested in more philosophy and, and mathematics for it. So we'll be talking about uh, about a lot of big names, Galileo, Newton, uh, Leibniz, uh, Berkeley and talk about all sorts. But without much further ado, I'm going to hand you over to George who's going to talk to you about uh, about Galileo and where we're going to go with this today, George. So here you go. Hello, guys. Thank you for having us again, Andrew. Um, yeah, so to link uh, this podcast to the last one on the infinite, um, there's a couple of ways we can link Galileo to Leibniz um, and Newton. And the main story arc of today is going to be the battle between Newton and Leibniz and who invented the calculus. Um, now, to hark back, we can look at Galileo and um, it's the primary school answer to who invented the telescope. So that's ever on. Someone says Galileo was the first person to invent the telescope. But well, I would have said, yeah. In the true history of it, there was a Dutch guy called Hans Lappahe. He invented the first telescope. And unfortunately, um, he couldn't get a patent for it. And one of his friends wrote a letter to Galileo saying, look at this amazing design. Someone's come out to stir the planets. I suppose God's infinity. And that hand was going to tour Europe. And Galileo thought, well, I'm not having this, stealing my thunder, I'm just going to design one of these telescopes myself. So they steal it all away from this poor fella, and he just lost history in a way. It's, I, I never knew that. Gal- I, I didn't think Galileo would have been so morally morally bankrupt towards That's a, a shock to me. Yeah. So in, in this sort of moral bankruptcy, is this is going to be the, um, the burden of the I love that. I think it's really good, and I think it's a, it's an excellent explanation. I, I, I thought it was really, really well explained. Just to all the philosophers out there who kind of struggle a little bit with um, with Aquinas when he talks about sort of uh, potentiality and actuality, where and I, I think that was that was a really, really clever sort of link that you could make there, where there is the potentiality for for a, for a number without end, but the actuality is that within human human realms that there's not. And sort of Aquinas explains it away through this analogy of attribution and proportion but to anybody else that that's that's a really really good link really well explained thank you george so um this is where we are now it's a bit of a segue um in infinity but i think 
it's very important um, because we're entering the scientific age more and more here. Um, less and less me and Andrew are going to be uh, able to explain some of the concept because it becomes down the line of pure maths. This is where the mathematicians take over. Um, Leibniz is basically called one of the last true polymaths, yeah. um, spanning many, many different fields. Um, natural, philosophy, physics, everything basically. There's not many of them left in time past the 17th century, 16th, 17th century. Um, would you agree with that so far, Andrew? Massively, yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things, these are colossally, colossally intelligent people that I'm. Uh, these ideas on calculus I, I read up on and, and blew my mind. I, I can't get my head around it. I do like the fact that, that Leibniz is often described as like a, a pure mathematician, um, where he's just interested in like the theory, whereas Newton is, is more of kind of a um, applied mathematician, looking at kind of gravity and things like like that, I think is a is a good thing to have in your head when you're, you're looking at this. Yeah, and I think, yeah. And I think we need to come back to that point when we start, we'll get into the calculus. But I think we need a little example before um, we'll get, get, put, put some meat on the boards. Please do. I think, I think the point of calculus is, is, is this. I think um, what, we're, what we're looking at is rates of change. So um, one way we can look at that is um, speed acceleration. So mm-hmm. if we imagine a train going from Carlisle to Newcastle, oh, yes. we say it's at average speed. Is 80 mile an hour. Mm-hmm. Whilst that tells you one bit of information, it doesn't tell you much about what happened in between because um, basically the train could be stopped for half an hour and then go really, really fast or could have just gone a fairly constant rate at 80 mile an hour or could be in a jiggly jagged way all the way over. So that 80 um, miles an hour is only true when you look at it over an hour. It's travelled 80 miles in that hour. It doesn't tell you a speed at a particular time. Correct, correct. And very interestingly, um, I'm part of a running club and they just did a challenge this week where you had to run five miles and stay exactly on pace because often people go too fast at the start of a race or you know, they just slow up the speed down and the point was every mile had to be the same um, eight minute miles, nine minute miles you had to say it then do it see what I mean with us. I got you there Yanni Laidler wouldn't have been able to stick that so just a quick word for you there Yanni yeah but the guy who won who got like every mile on eight minute miles was basically just um, bombing it then slowing down yeah. so it, 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 was, it was more like the output if you look at the, the output anyway we're, we're digressing here a little bit but it, it's the same principle the point the point where calculus comes in or the train driver on the speedometer at any given point is getting an output it's getting the speed the, the train is going say 85 mile an hour 55 mile an hour yeah. and the point here is it, that's a point that's a zero time so that precise second that's how fast the trillion's going. Yeah. Can you see that, Andrew? Yeah. Now, this this arc, uh, harks back to um, Zeno's paradox. Oh, yeah, really good. So, yeah, I, I see where you're going, yeah. How can you travel any distance in zero time? So, in a very perverse way, now, the subtleties of mathematics might escape me, Andrew, but basically what calculus is... Um, in the world is zero divided by zero, which is a bit of a you kind of do it. It's foreboding. Oof. Oh yeah, it is quite. It's get. It's it's getting quite complicated now, isn't it? Yeah. What one thing that helped me is, um, if you imagine um, a graph where it's a curve, 
So it could be you throwing the ball or it could be the speed of the train. Mm-hmm. What you're looking at is at that precise moment, what is the um, angle, what is the rate of change of the curve at a specific point? So you pick the point and then you need the line of best fit. That, that's probably the simplest way to describe what the calculus is. Got you there, got you there. It still sounds quite quite complex though, but I do I do get where you're going with it. Now, uh, where where the natural philosophy is involved here, both Newton and Leibniz, this is uh, this is describing God's universe. So everything is in a state of flux. Um, indeed, uh, Newton invented the word uh, fluxions. Did it, it, a lot of the language used for calculus is more on uh, Leibniz's side than Newton. Um, but uh, both seen this invention of describing the rate of change in nature. Can you see that, Andrew? So yeah, yeah. The crops, um, population growth, um, and animals, um, how a bird will fly, or dynamic, rather, blah, blah, blah. Everything's on this parabola, this sort of arc of change. Yes? Yeah, I like that. So it's kind of like, like what, what is it? I mean, going back to, to Aristotle, what we talked about there, where he talked about the four causes, where everything's moving towards it to tell us. So it's, it's, there's links there as well, isn't there, where everything's changing. story before we get to the start is basically in history it seemed that both Leibniz and Newton came up with um, calculus independently so they're both thinking about the same time and both came up with this idea. Now the battle came when Newton and Leibniz who had correspondence they were friends for a while Newton sent some of his work in code but then the old postal system and um, took six months to get there or something didn't it? Once they get there, then this happened, then that happened. And, and like Newton, what well, I've got to remember about Newton, just a little biography um, of Newton. Um, his mother was awful to him. His, his, his dad died. He never. His, his dad was dead by the time he was born. Um, and his mum ran away with the bigger um, and left Newton um, in his grandma's care. And Newton hated this bigger. And threatened to burn the house down. Mm. Um, his mum kept trying to steal him away from school and stuff to just work the farm. So if his wicked mum had his way, wouldn't have any, uh, wouldn't have all these uh, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest Englishmen of all time. Would you agree? So anyway, um, uh, so what you got to understand with Isaac is that he was damaged from an early age. So he was described it. Would, what's his school report? They say he's a listless, listless boy with no, no interest in anything anybody's got to say. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was much turmoil, and I think any, everything is successfully jealously guarded. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I think this is why he takes this approach. And um, you had a battle with Hook, the guy who the Springs guy, Hook's Law. Yeah. Um, and uh, the story is more well, digressing here, but it's a good story. Uh, Hook had a bit of a hunchback. He was a bit of a sort of uh, a lowly fella. And that's where the standing on shoulders of giants thing came from. It was a sort of slight against Hook. Really? <laughs> I thought he was being nice to like like Boyle no, and Hook no. and all them. No, he's been horrible. No. So oh. um, so basically Isaac Newton took the, the, went to court, um, brought society out to judge it, and basically they all sided on Isaac. Mainly because he wrote all the reports and decided himself. But he wanted his wife Leibniz out from history, basically. Poor Leibniz. And linking back to God again is uh, the, the difference in theology between the two is that 
line that's believed that God set the universe off. So all these these arcs of change, all this sort of um, this progress was just from an initial standpoint. Yes. Newton had a more of an interventionist um, belief that God was the agent that acted upon these things. Although you had the laws of motion and everything, fundamentally behind that, the guy pushing it all the time was God. And uh, Leibniz, to, um, is Aquinas the watchmaker, yes? Uh, well, Paley's watchmaker, but uh, Aquinas does sort of say he comes up with a design teleological argument, yeah. So um, Leibniz's slide on Newton's theology is that... Um, why would you want a sloppy watchmaker? My watchmaker is better than yours because you just need to be involved in this beautiful system that works itself out. So that's how he's looking at these rates of change, infinity, even infinity small, that God's set it off, and then it's a system that self-propagates, if you see what I mean? Yeah. And I think a good a good thing with there, you can talk about Matty. So I think it's it's kind of, like, between them both here, listening between it, you kind of hear that it's their take on infinity seems to be cosmological versus teleological like Mackey talks about the cosmological argument of like Leibniz and he gives this analogy of like a, a, an engine pulling a train that there's just one thing that gets the whole thing going uh, which seems to echo Leibniz whilst you could sort of say that Newton's seems to be that it's an interventionalist God involved in various attributes of, of the universe yeah yeah that's it that's it and I, and I, and I think um, when you were talking about uh, Leibniz being a, a sort of um, a sort of paper-based um, equation fella, when Newton's slightly more um, practical, experimental sort of approach. Yeah. Um, their approach, how we got to the calculus, is that um, Newton's a man of motion, so he he was more the curves, um, finding the points, looking at, from the sort of um, the parabola, the apple fall off the tree, all these things. Yeah, yeah. Where Leibniz wanted to just do more of the Euclidean splitting shapes up smaller and smaller to try and get this sort of tiny, tiny point and add them all up together. Completely different ways, the same solution. So it, um, very interesting how how these two figures came to the same point but had very different worldviews and uh, philosophies. Fascinating, really. And just, just, I'm going to put you on the spot here, George. Who do you like best? Who do you like better than Leibniz or Newton? And who do you think uh, created it first? There is that. Everybody, t- I mean, there was. A, I was doing some things on this, and uh, um, one of the quotes was that Leibniz is is um, what brings science back to maths. Leibniz, and then they talk about the. He's, a, he's certainly the more influential mathematician because he influenced that the the, the German mathematician uh, mathematician Ola, who apparently makes mathematics more mathematical. Um, and he was he was a big Leibniz advocate, I believe. Yeah, and the good and the good anecdote with Euler is that. Um, he went blind somewhere. Oh, yeah, was, yeah. And he said, oh, good, I've got no distractions now. <laughs> big optimist, big optimist as well. Yeah, so and I think one, one other person we could bring into this battle is... Uh, is is it Bishop Bartley? Bishop Bartley, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done it. I mean, he's a fascinating figure, Bartley, a really, really interesting guy. For me, I mean, you'll probably correct this, yeah. I kind of see a. There's an. 
I think with Bartley, he's, 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 he's not a fan of the sort of the purism of mathematics. I read a, a really good piece by a guy called Molyneux on, on Bartley, and it was, it was called Bartley's Exorcism of Mathematics. And I know you're really, really good at this, George, but, it, but what Bartley seems to be saying is that, that numbers have this idea of pure mathematics. It doesn't really make sense because he says a number has to be linked to something real and tangible, like there's got to be one cow or there has to be one apple for the notion of one to mean anything. So kind of what Bartley says is that mathematics, at the extreme ends of mathematics, say infinity or or zero or zero point zero 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 one, he says is absolutely ludicrous because there's nothing tangible that it can relate to. Yeah, and and, and I think that the what what pissed Bartley off is to the age of science, um, Newton and Leibniz probably the last big fellas fellas that were both theists both believed in God. Yeah. I know, I know Einstein often refers to gods and play dice and all this, but very much not in any sort of straightforward way Christian or any anything yeah. like that, these later scientists. What Bartley's um, dispute was that um, scientists uh, um, saying that religion, particular Christianity, isn't, isn't logical. So that's why I'm not going to believe. But what he's pointing out is a lot of maths and what you have to accept to get along with it Falls by the same wayside. I fully agree, George. This this fascinates me. And you 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 taught me about this years and years ago, and I, I've become obsessed with it. This idea that sort of um, excessive faith in mathematics, excessive faith in sort of scientific methodology, is is fundamentally unsound because there's no there is no empirical evidence for infinity. There is no empirical evidence for being able to sort of sit there, and you said this last week, sit down like Euclid and, and crack out the understanding of the universe. This idea that mathematics is is a language of nature and stuff like that, it it does fall down at its at its extreme ends, which I think I think is what Bartley was saying, and I think it's what the point that that I'm really interested in that you've brought up. Yeah, so I mean, uh, again, you can earn uh, aside a lot of technicality here, but I think. Mathematics. When you speak to kids that want to do mathematics, say, "Why do you want to do maths?" Well, it's not. It's not really. It's it's not essay based. It's 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 matter of fact. You know, right? It's, wrong. it's not subjective. Yeah, they think it's objectively yeah. true. Yeah. The difficulty is to get on board with mathematics. Um, I've got a good example that, that I was looking at recently. Is you have to accept the axioms, the particular axioms, some of which have been. I don't want to use the word arbitrary, but it's just been chosen through yeah. um, different reasons. Um, for, we already mentioned one. Um, zero divided by zero. Um, two is the first prime number. Um, zero is an even number because that's where it sits on the number line. Yeah. Well, there's no, there's no evidence of that. that, that, that it seems like someone's just created convention. these rules and you have to accept them. Yeah, you've got to accept them. And um, one one guy I like, who's a bit of a untapped genius, uh, does the Wolfram, Stephen Wolfram. Um, he talks about he's worked out how many different axiomatics, potential mathematics that are in existence, and there's like thousands. So you <laughs> can just pick a different one and run with that. So there's a little bit of arbitrariness at the very start of it all. Um, so, 
and this is Bartley's point, um, that why are you accepting these very basic tenants without questioning this moving along? Then is that not the same problem that you could sit at um, theology store that you just railing against and not believe? I think it's an interesting one, just to go back to something that we've talked about earlier. If you look at Plato and Plato's idea of the forms, Plato's like sometimes called the ideals, that's it. It's a priori argument. It's an argument that makes sense within the boundaries of its own like parameters. And when you say to someone, oh, this world is just a shadow of the other world, and you rattle out all the same axioms, all the same things, people find that hard to accept. When you look at mathematics at its core, it is a priori argument with certain axioms that you just have to accept, but it's just a more prevalent one, or I don't know, one that's got more usage with it. I think it's a, it's a it's a difficult one um are we, there's going to be some some further talk on this perhaps next week when we do godel and so on isn't that yeah godel um this is where very much coming in the modern era and those, i suppose the link one we have to remember next time is one of Leibniz's other main inventions is um the binary so the the, the computer code one the zeros um it's just tremendous. These people, 400 years ago, um, developing stuff that is more heavily used now. Yeah. Both the calculus and and ones and zeros. Everything this phone, everything we use. Um, and I think Leibniz did a lot of work on uh, the machine and the the sort of uh, the sewing machine and yeah. Um, and and these things are very much harks to probably where we'll get to if we do fifth or sixth podcast Andrew where can machines take with infinity I think we need to doth hat to, to Leibniz um, being the sort of one of the forefathers of that sort of thing yeah I mean absolutely I mean again just to, to round this off it's I hope you've enjoyed it as, as well guys but it is quite humbling to look at these absolutely enormous intellects I mean when was when was Leibniz 16 16 60s and Newton about the same time the major link at the same time as the plague. So, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Newton, Newton developed a lot of his work um, on gravity. I'm not sure about the calculus. Um, during lockdown. Yes, I remember reading that. Yes, you that to anybody who's listening, you've got absolutely no ex- Newton invented calculus and theory of gravity during lockdown. What have you done? So pull your fingers out. Well, Andrew, I think that's it for this week. I think we've we've covered another few hundred years there. We've gone from Galileo to uh, Bishop Bartley. Well, I very much enjoyed that, George. Thank you very, very much. Um, if any of you, we're going we're gonna to upload, upload this shortly. If any of you have got any questions, you can go on um, you can go on um, the, the YouTube, my YouTube page, Andrew's Philosophercast, or, or, or George's is also a really, he's got his YouTube page up. Um, any questions, any comments, please, please uh, don't hesitate to get in touch 
Ta-ta. Speak to you all in the future.